You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church Midtown. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come centered on Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Philippians 4, 10 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Ephroditus what you have provided, a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. For those of you who are present, it is good to uh, see half your faces. Um, And for those of you who are watching online, we uh, long to see you in person, but we are glad that you are uh, doing well and that you are are tuning in. And to uh, Miss Donna, it's good to see you. Uh, Miss Donna, who is so beloved here, uh, lost her wonderful husband, Mr. Charlie, uh, recently. And Uh, He was put to rest on Friday, Uh, but we know to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord, and uh, we're glad you're here. Um, I just want to pause real quick, and I want to ask all of our LTN uh, crew who may be present uh, just to stand for us uh, so that we can acknowledge you. Uh, This Love Thy Neighborhood team are our People, as you guys know, who are serving uh, all over the city in many ways. Uh, for many of them, it is their last Sunday here in Louisville as they have uh, donated their time and their gifts uh, to serve various nonprofits all throughout the city. And we just want to say thank you so much for your time here. Um, we pray that the Lord would just richly encourage you as you go back to your cities. And we hope that you enjoyed your time here in Louisville and that you enjoyed your time here at Sojourn. Uh, and man, we hope uh, that it benefited you as much as you all have benefited us. So thank you. You may be seated. 
Uh, also, I, I want to uh, just give us a quick announcement before we dive into the, the sermon. Uh, Pastor Luke will emphasize this again next week, but next week we're starting a um, series called The Gospel, Race, and Justice. The Gospel, Race, and Justice. And it's going to last for six weeks, and it's going to be a biblical uh, overview of uh, these issues, conversations about ethnicity, reconciliation, and the church. I think that it will be spiritually negligent of us as, as pastors to uh, not uh, address this. We, we've addressed this a bunch. Normally, as we've just exposited the Bible and things come up, we mention it. But we want to do a kind of a, uh, you can't exhaust the subject, but a fuller treatment to the subject to help shepherd us through what's going on in light of um, a heavy summer nationally, as well as a heavy summer here in Louisville, as uh, the country is kind of up in arms and uh, really crying for justice because of a few uh, injustices that were made public, as well as some things that have been going on systemically and historically. So we want to help you to think through that in a biblical Christian way and to apply the Bible to that. This is a hard conversation. It's often a politicized conversation. We want to take the conversation out of the political realm, put it uh, where it first belongs uh, in the church, through the word of God, and to speak to it. And we can do hard things as Christians, and we can talk about hard things as Christians uh, because we serve a savior, a savior who modeled that for us uh, by going to Golgotha's Hill and dying the death that we deserve uh, and raising from the dead with, with all power. Amen? So we pray that you will come prayed up and ready to learn and to lean in into this important subject. Uh, Lord, I just think about Psalm 34. And the psalm is saying, I will bless the Lord. I will, I will, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. This poor man cried. And you heard him and rescued him from all his fears. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who trusts in him. Lord, I pray that as we look to your word, that our faces would be radiant with joy. And that we would leave of this place knowing that we never leave your presence. I pray that this moment would be sacred to us as we look at your sacred scripture. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this week, while preparing a sermon on discontentment, I had a moment of discontentment uh, that caused me to both want to laugh and cry. Uh, I ordered some time ago a uh, something that was made uh, custom, an item that I normally order every two years uh, or so. But I was proud of myself because it had been about three years since I made this order. In fact, last year I had wanted this item, but in order to show self-constraint, I chose to wait an extra year, and I was proud of myself. 
And I knew it was coming in. And it came in, and I waited uh, until I had a moment to be by myself. I opened the item, and I was proud of myself for waiting, but I was so happy to finally receive it. And I looked at it. I turned it different ways. I was like, man, I'm a nerd, but this is what I love. Thank you, Jesus. Five minutes later, I was looking at the same item, and I started to critique it. And I started to plan on how I was going to custom make this relatively inexpensive, not very expensive, not terribly expensive item two years from then. I was satisfied with the item that I waited for almost three years for about five minutes before I critiqued it and started to plan the next time I would buy the item two years from now. And I know that you're embarrassed to hear that come from your pastor, but... Again, I found myself simultaneously wanting to laugh and cry as I prepared a sermon on contentment. Do you ever have moments like that where you anticipate something, you wait for something, you get that something, and then that's something that you longed for, that you thought was going to fix you, that you thought was going to complete you, that you thought was going to give you joy, that you thought was going to give you happiness? Uh, It doesn't last that long. Have you ever started a new job thinking that this was finally the job of your dreams and it was going to satisfy? Or perhaps it was you filling an area of your life that maybe was a, a hole. Maybe it was you finally getting married and then uh, months later you think like, man, this is going to be really hard. I miss being single. Or perhaps it's uh, uh, you fill in a blank that those different things that you come to believe will fix you, your job, your friends, something about your physical appearance, your kids reaching a milestone, your relationship status, your income, maybe your church, and it just doesn't satisfy. And what is that thing that you are telling yourself today, I wish I had blank What I really need is blank. And if I had it, I would be complete. Because what we're going to look at is how none of these things satisfy. And we're going to be reminded by today's text, the secret of contentment, that God has allowed us to be born with a a hole the size of eternity. And anything that is not eternal will not satisfy that hole. Your heart was shaped with a Christ-shaped deficiency that only the cross of Christ and an empty tomb will satisfy. And yet we often feel and fall into the lie that something else will make us happy. Something else will get us joy. And when we don't get those things, we, we grumble, we complain, we commit sexual sin, We overeat, overdrink, we hide, we feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel fear, we exaggerate, we find something else to boast in. Well, we get to learn today from a man who learned what contentment was, from a man who had been through all sorts of situations and who has matured and found the secret to contentment. But contentment is difficult. And one of the reasons it's difficult is because of the time and age that we live, even though it's it's always been difficult. I think uh, in today's society, it's probably more difficult than it's ever been. The average person sees 5,000 ads a day. 5,000 ads a day. 
5,000 times a day where you're looking at something that a marketing company put together after spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to prey on your emotions and on your experience and who have studied uh, your habits and the habits of people like you to make you feel like whatever they're selling is what you absolutely need. But we were created uh, uh, after the fall of Adam, we, we all were born, I should say, with this discontentment, with this hole. And whether or not we are we're seeing 5,000 ads a day or, or we, we live in a stone ages, we will become discontent or have uh, opportunities to become discontent. Think about Adam and Eve who was in the garden with God, fully loved with everything they ever wanted. And they still sinned against God as as they were tempted to believe that they were lacking. And after all, we are in the middle of a pandemic. And many of us are experiencing even more discontent or opportunities for discontent as ever before. The coronavirus um, has shrunk our lives in many ways, has minimized the way in which we can communicate with people. And many of us are feeling so discontent. Well, this text is going to help us to find true contentment and to see what true contentment is. Now, what is contentment? Contentment, most definitions will uh, or dictionaries will say that it is the state of happiness and satisfaction. And the word that Paul uses in verse 11 is a common word that was used by philosophers of his day and it meant to be self-satisfied. In fact, we want to look at two uh, well-known philosophers in the Greek world around this time. The first is Socrates, who was born about 450 BC. And here's a famous quote on contentment that he said, he is richest who is content with the least for content is the wealth of nature. So it's this attitude, Socrates says, of being self-satisfied and in being content without having an abundance of things um, is, is the happiest person. Or we can look at Seneca. And Seneca wrote, um, he was born about 4 BC. The happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. And so this is what philosophers were teaching is the self-satisfaction. But what Paul is going to teach us is not referring to self-satisfaction, but it's Christ's sufficiency. And he's going to help us to put a dent in contentment by finding our fulfillment or fullness in Christ. It's Christ's sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. Jeremiah Burrell wrote a classic called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's It's an incredible gift, very well written. And he defines contentment as the sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Wow. Contentment is the sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I love that definition because even as we look at the book of Philippians, We know that Paul is not uh, uh, writing from a penthouse. He's writing from a prison cell. And we know that Paul is uh, awaiting trial where uh, he could be and most likely will be put to death. 
We know that he is on a quarantine of sorts. And yet throughout this book, the Apostle Paul is telling the church of Philippi to rejoice. And he's not writing from a place of cynicism. He's not complaining. He's not grumbling. Instead, he is encouraging the church to cultivate the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter one, Paul says, listen, the mind of Christ is single minded to live as Christ and to die as gain. In Philippians chapter two, he says the mind of Christ is submissive minded. It is to count other people as more significant than yourselves. And our example is Jesus, who became a servant to all. In chapter three, he says, listen, the, the, the mind of Christ is spiritual minded. It forgets what's past and it presses on to what God has for us in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter four, he's like, oh, the mind of Christ, it is secure. It's a mind that is able to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we do this by taking our heart to God in moments of worry and anxiety with prayer and supplication. We do this by meditating on what is true, what is beautiful, what is lovely, etc. Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. And now Paul is writing this church and he's hoping that, that they will continue to press into Christ to find this fullness so that they would uh, commune with God and live out their union with Christ in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit is developed in them and they will experience sweet, inward, gracious frame of spirit. And this is important for the church of Philippi because they are living in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, in Rome, which is an extremely secular uh, uh, state. And it's only about 50,000 of them at this time in history worldwide. And so they are an enigma and they are going to, they are being persecuted and they are going to be persecuted as they continue to say, not Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And Paul is saying, what I need you all to understand that in order for you to walk worthy of the gospel by which you've been called, in order for you to uh, live as citizens of heaven and not citizens of this earth, you have to understand that God is able to give you a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. God is able to give you a secure mind in the midst of insecurity. And so this Content spirit is opposed to an inner life that is full of envy, that is spiteful, that is always grabbing for more. Because I'm telling you, that one thing you think that if you have it will complete you, you will get it and you'll still be grabbing for more. You'll still be grabbing for more. Because your heart, the writer of Ecclesiastes say, was created with eternity in it. Now, let me be clear, discontentment, discontentment, uh, or contentment, I should say, does not mean uh, that a person is apathetic, does not mean that a person cannot advocate, does not mean that a, a person cannot uh, protest against injustice. <laughs> Jesus was the most contented person ever, and he was an advocate for the broken, the marginalized, and the least of these. Uh, he was an advocate to push back the status quo of worthless religion in his day. There is a holy discontentment. 
There is a righteous discontentment and a righteous discontentment, though, is centered not on I, self and me, but the glory of God. And our prayers that the Lord, as we find contentment in Christ, that he would shape our hearts to have more and more of a righteous discontentment that still doesn't come undone when injustice happens in our inner life, right? But that is able to speak up with confidence and faith um, and to stand up for what we know is true, good, and beautiful. I got one amen. 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 All right. Listen to this. Contentment and discontentment is a heart issue. The psalmist writes in Psalm 62, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Verse three, how long will you threaten a man? Verse four, they take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. I love Psalm 62 because it's a lament as the psalm as David is king of Israel, but he's also over uh, as he's overseeing this nation. There's real threats against the nation. And part of the psalm, in fact, verse three and verse four, he's talking about these men who are seeking to uh, usurp his authority and to to overtake Israel. But even in the midst of these circumstances, he's saying, I am at rest in God alone. That's a heart, that's an inner heart uh, posture. But the men who are against him, look at how he, he, uh, he talks about them. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. When I'm talking about contentment, I'm not simply talking about an external posture. Because some of us just have cool personalities. We can be in a horrible situation and our personality just comes off cool, calm and collective. But inwardly, we are a mess. True contentment is not just grumbling with our words. True contentment is being at peace in our heart. And listen, if that seems heavy and impossible, you get it. Apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit's working, apart from supernatural intervention, none of us can have that contentment. We need Jesus. Let me give you some quick reasons why discontentment is dangerous. And I wrote this list while I was just reading through the book of Philippians and applying all of Paul's words, but I won't be able to expound this in full. But here's what we learned so far. And I just kind of took each chapter and flipped major themes from the chapter. One, discontentment is dangerous because discontentment leads to constant worry and anxiety. It chokes the life out of us. Second, discontentment imprisons us to the past or to false identities. We saw this in chapter three. Paul saying, yo, y'all need to forget was passed and press on. Discontentment takes away our witness to the world. Paul shows us this in Philippians chapter two. He tells the church of Philippi to shine like stars. And the way in which they do that is by modeling the example of Christ that he wrote in this Christ hymn, but also by not grumbling and complaining. 
Like one of the ways in which the world is to be drawn to the church is by the church being salt and light, living these supernatural, different lifestyles of, of deep inner contentment in the midst of situations where there is opportunity to be discontent. And God wants to use the church as a witness to the world that says, my hope is built on nothing less but Christ, Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. In the middle of, uh, of, of COVID, in the, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of political uproar, in the midst of racial Injustice. What if the church said it's on Christ the solid rock we stand? My hope isn't in me being able to travel. My hope isn't in me being, keeping my job. My hope isn't in me being able to move freely and go to birthday parties. All that's good, but my hope is in Jesus. He can give me a joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. But discontentment takes away that witness as we become grumblers and look just as hopeless. We look just as hopeless talking about the virus and politicizing everything. We look just as hopeless debating the, the finer things of, of politics or even debating politics and arguing. And All right, that's not move. Discontentment is the opposite of the mind of Christ. And here's the thing, discontentment, like all sin, grows. It doesn't just heal itself. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we don't apply the gospel to our discontentment, it'll get worse. That's what James says. What causes fights? What causes quarrels amongst you? Is it not this? You desire, you're discontent, and you do not have, so you murder. He says, you murk people. You take people out because of something you don't have. Discontentment is a sin, and we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that God brings harsh judgment on, on his people when they habitually, intentionally walk in discontentment and treat him as if he is not a loving father who can provide their needs. Discontentment breeds stinginess. Earlier, I said stanginess, that uh, Chicago country twain came out, and everybody was like, you say stan, what is, what is stangy? It's an I, stinginess, I learned. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with y'all? Stinginess, right? <laughs> when we're discontent, we don't become generous. We, we, we become more stingy because we believe that life is found in the abundance of possession. So even though we may reach our financial goals, we don't actually give more. We actually hoard more because the issue is a heart issue. And we lie to ourselves, well, if I had more, I would give more. No, that's a lie. If you're not faithful with the little bit you have, when God gives you more, you're not going to be faithful with it because it's a heart issue. 
In fact, that's really the context in which Paul is writing. That's why he tells the church of Corinthians, uh, Corinthians, Philippi. It's kind of funny. He's like, thank y'all for your gift. Man, Epaphroditus, he sacrificed all oh, the sacrifice. It is an aroma. Mm, it's a great aroma. It's a great sacrifice. And y'all, y'all, y'all have blessed me. Not only once, y'all blessed me multiple times. Y'all blessed me when I was in Thessalonica. Y'all blessed me when I was in Macedonia. But then, <laughs> but then he's like, but I want y'all to understand, even if y'all did not bless me, I was going to be all right. Because I have learned to be content in Christ. And the reason this church at Philippi, even though they weren't a wealthy church and they were being afflicted themselves, constantly gave to Paul's mission and the mission of the church, even though uh, they didn't have wealth themselves, is because I believe that they were walking in seasons in contentment as a church. And Paul is saying, thank you. All right, let's conclude by looking at three important things to know about contentment if we're going to put a dent in our discontentment. The first is this, contentment is learned. If you're tempted to beat up yourself as you look on this last week and you think about how much you grumble, how much you complain, how much ungratefulness is in your heart, that's what we're here for. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are learners. A disciple is a learner. It's a process. Paul, when he was born again on the Damascus road, the next day was not content, (laughs) right? He had to learn. I love the apostle. I had to learn to be content. In fact, we read the book of Acts as if Paul, after his conversion, just all of a sudden became this great man of God. There was a three-year gap between Paul's conversion to when he started going and living on mission because he took time to be a disciple, to be a learner. And then even within that, God constantly brought trials and tribulations Paul's way. He was constantly shaping Paul and conforming Paul and breaking Paul and putting Paul through suffering so that Paul would look more and more like Jesus. And God uses our suffering. God uses our our situations and our circumstances to form us into the image of Christ to build contentment where we will come to the place to say, All I have is Christ. Second, contentment is possible in every circumstance. Every circumstance. Paul says here, listen, I know how to make it with little and a lot. To be well fed, verse 12, or hungry in abundance and in need. And contentment is needed in all circumstances. Just because you have abundance don't mean that you're content. In fact, some of the most discontent people in the world are the people who have abundance. Paul said, I've learned when there's an overflow of grain, when there's an overflow of business, when there's an overflow of work, to not put my faith and hope in the overflow, but in Jesus. And he's like, I've also learned, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those times where I was beaten, those times that I was shipwrecked, those times where brothers uh, betrayed me, where false brothers uh, spoke against me, I learned to be content. In fact, he models this in, in chapter one in the book of Philippians, as there are preachers who are using Paul as a negative example, saying that you shouldn't listen to Paul because if Paul was really a man of God, he wouldn't be in prison, he wouldn't be in chains. And Paul's like, you know what? Cool, let them preach whatever they want to about me as long as they're preaching Christ. That's contentment. When you can lay down your reputation and not defend yourself. Mm. 
Because you just want Jesus, Jesus preach. That's something you have to learn. In Hudson Taylor's book, Spiritual Secret, the famous missionary to China tells the story of how he worked for many years in China. For many years, he felt that he was trusting Christ to meet his needs, but somehow he had no joy or liberty in his ministry. Then a letter from a friend opened his eyes to the adequacy or sufficiency of Christ. The friend simply wrote this sentence that changed the course of Hudson's life. It is not by trusting my own faithfulness, but by looking away to the faithful one that I found contentment. And Hudson goes on to tell how this was the secret turning point of his life as moment by moment, second by second, hour by hour, he began to withdraw from the spiritual bank of Christ and to live in dependence on him and not his own intellect, not his own strength. And he began to have joy. And many of us lack joy because we are trying to do things in our own strength. We are not communing with Jesus. We're not living out our union with Christ. This is what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through 29. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Listen to this. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So what was Paul's secret? to going from city to city, having all these different friendships and relationships and not constantly burning out. He was not living according off his own faithfulness and strength, but rather on the faithfulness and strength of Christ. He says, we toil, we strive with his strength. Perhaps you're discontent because you're living life out of your own reservoir rather than digging deep and pulling off the reservoir of Christ. This is what Jesus taught in John 15 and 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me. Now here remains in me. He's not talking about just simply perseveres in me. I think we read this and we hear, yes, persevere. No, remains, remains in me, stays with me, walks with me, talks with me, wakes up and and I'm on their mind, makes coffee and I'm on their mind. At work, I'm on their mind. On the porch with friends, I'm on their mind. They're not compartmentalizing Jesus from the rest of their life like a a branch that is in a vine. They are, are constantly communing with Jesus. The one who remains in me And I am him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. Listen, contentment will come for you and for me when we check in with Jesus as much as we check our phones. I'm going to say that again. Come on, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Uh Contentment for you and for me will be cultivated and become more of a reality when we check in with Jesus as much as we check in with our phones. Because this is some of us. Lord, I don't know why I'm so discontent. 
And every five minutes, we're on our phone, scrolling social media, on Amazon, on Google. 5,000 ads, you're getting 15,000 ads a day. I don't know why I'm so content comparing ourselves to others constantly rather than living in the true vine. Mm, So much more I want to say, but y'all got on mask. And there's a story in the Bible about Paul uh, preaching and carrying on all day. And a kid fell off the windowsill and died. Because Paul, the Bible says he carried on and on. I don't want to be like that, right? God has not blessed me with the spiritual gift of healing like Paul. Paul just walked downstairs, brought him back to life, and then came and kept on preaching, right? Uh, I'm not as interesting as Paul. So much I want to say about this, but here's what I want to leave you. Put a dent in your discontentment by starving your flesh. Put a dent in your discontentment by looking to the God who is providential and living in the fullness of Christ. You are not wherever you are right now in your life by accident. You are not where you are in your life right now by chance. And I know for some of you that's really hard as you are in a very difficult situation and you are hurting and your heart is tempted to blame God for where you are. But God is a good God. He is a loving God. He is a compassionate God, but he also is a providential God. The word providence in the English comes from, from, you break it up two ways. The words pro means to see beforehand or to know beforehand. And uh, the, vi- the, the second part of that is where we get the word video from in Latin. God sees and he knows and he orchestrates beforehand. And if you would just learn to surrender to him in the midst of your situation, he'll bless you. He may wound you like Jacob and you may walk with a limp, but he'll bless you. Come here, Abraham. I wish I had time to tell you about Abraham and how he was discontent without a son from his own loins with with Sarah. But after God blessed him with Isaac, Abraham came to see that as much as he loved Isaac, that's not where his substance came from. And so when God told him to kill his own son, he was able to walk up that mountain, trusting God and having faith in God because God became more to Abraham than having a particular child. Provision. Come here, Joseph. Yes, I was thrown in a pit. I was put in prison and and my situation was was dire as I was enslaved and and I was enslaved by my brothers. I was put in a horrible situation, but, but I had learned by the end of that journey to be content. In fact, I was able to tell my brothers what you meant for evil, God meant for the good. Provision. See, God sees the beginning of your parade all the way to the end of your parade. He has a a blimp view. And if you would just just pick up the phone and talk to him while you're going through the parade, uh, he'll tell you, yes, you're about to run into a, a little situation here, but just go around. Just keep waiting because I'm working. I'm working. David, learn to be content was finding his identity and being a king and God's protection. Went to a place called Ziklag and left the women and children of him and his, his soldiers uh, back. And when they came back, an army had come and, and taken all the women and kids and ransacked where they were staying. And all the soldiers, all the soldiers turned on him 
And David was standing alone. But I love what the Bible says. The Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. The whole world had turned against him, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. He drew from the reservoir of Christ. And he was content and he was able to go back and get everything that Satan has stolen. That's what Paul is saying here. I'm hurrying to a close. Paul, Paul was just saying here, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I've learned to be content and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ. Somebody just needs to hear that you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. Your difficult marriage, you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. Your, the loneliness that you're experiencing, you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. If you're a medical worker, as you go back to the workplace in the hospital room, you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. Pull on that, that inner reservoir. Find your sufficiency, not in yourself, but in Jesus. Every Sunday we celebrate what Christ has done for us by taking a meal called communion, a meal that reminds us of the strength that God can give us and that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness, one who is gentle and lowly, who does not harm us in our times of discontent, but who invites us to rest in peace in him. One who was tempted with discontent himself in the Garden of Gethsemane as he knew he was about to be betrayed and was about to bear the, the sins of the world on his shoulder. He prayed out to his father, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. But then he pulled deep within the reservoir that he said, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he lifted a, a cup and said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christians, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Peace be with you. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.